Thank you, Gordon and Barbara, for our music this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. We are in Galatians chapter 1, message number 3, as we're working our way through this book this spring and summer. And so we just read in our service a few minutes ago, verses 6 through 9. And you notice verse 6 alone, I marvel, Paul says, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ, notice, to a different gospel. I titled this message this morning, The Attraction of False Gospels. There are a lot of false gospels in the world today. There are a lot of different gospels, as he says it here. A false gospel becomes cultish, you know. A false gospel is one that says, you know, you've got to be in our organization or you're not saved. You've got to do everything the way we do it here or you're not a child of God. And there are many organizations like that. We generally call them cultish. A false gospel is someone that doesn't preach the gospel, doesn't preach the, as we call it, the evangelical gospel of Christianity, that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, by the word of God alone. Uh, that is the true gospel that Paul is going to explain to us in the, in the book of Galatians. And so there are cults, whether very large ones like Islam or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, and yet Judaism had become that way. And that was in Paul's day. How do I... Uh, preach the gospel in a world like this uh, to people who are used to saying, you've got to be in our organization, you've got to do it our way, or you can't be saved. You know, today we have what I would call multi-everythingism, and that is we just have an attitude that everybody's okay, everybody's religion is right, nobody is wrong. But the fact is, if no one is wrong, then no one is right either. If you can't have a wrong, you can't have a right. You don't know the difference between the two. But Paul will say very definitely there is a true gospel and there is a false gospel. Let me give you this introduction kind of like in a funnel like. I want to start out with those broad words that I've just said and work my way down to where we are in our text. So number one, again, the world has many different gospels. Number two, understand or remember this that salvation has always been by grace through faith. That's the way everyone has always been saved, all the way back. That's why we have Hebrews chapter 11 in the Bible, you know, and it goes all the way back to Abel, to Cain and Abel, that you must be saved by faith. Abel was, uh, came to God by faith and Cain did not. And so, Throughout the ages, all the way from there up until Paul's day and now to our day, God had given different, his, his faith people, if you will, different assignments or laws or commands to follow. And what was given in one age or dispensation, if you will, is not necessarily required in another age or dispensation. And so you have Adam and Eve before the fall, and they had requirements in the Garden of Eden that were not their requirements afterward. After the fall and when they were expelled from the Garden, now they have other requirements. But is salvation by faith? Always by faith. So you have Noah and his sons, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah uh, is, was saved by faith, according to Hebrews 11. But he had to build an ark. 
And he had to follow God's responsibility for his age. Do you and I have to build an ark? Well, someone built one in, in uh, Kentucky, but uh, I don't think we'll have to use it. But uh, his requirements were different than someone else's. Abraham and his children, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, they had certain requirements in that age to, to those patriarchs uh, that were not required before them or after them. Then you have the law of Moses. For 1,500 years, Moses begins in about 1,400 B.C., so about 1,500 years' worth. Uh, you have responsibilities and laws given to Israel to follow. Were they saved by those laws? No, they're saved by faith if they were saved at all. Again, Hebrews 11 lists many of them. And then you have the cross, the mountain peak of Bible history. Now you have, rather than, than waiting for the Messiah and looking at the promises and prophecies and shadows and all of the Messiah, now we're looking face to face with him. Now we know exactly what he did. And so from that point on, salvation is to look right back at him and say, I know that he is God's son. I know that he died for my sins. He resurrected and uh, I can receive him by faith. What a great day then the, the church age is, the, the age of grace that we live in. There's also coming a kingdom of God after the second coming of Christ, and the requirements and the living situation in the kingdom of God will be different than anything anyone's ever seen in this world. That's number two. Number three, let me zero in on that mosaic age just a little bit, the law of Moses. That lasted for 1,500 years. How long how long was the Old Testament? How many years did it last? Well, if we take the earliest age of the earth and say it started at 4,000 B.C., you know, and the earth is about 6,000 years old now, it could be a little more than that, but not much more, then that means that from Adam and Eve to Moses would have been uh, 2,500 years. And the law of Moses only lasted 1,500 years. And so that law of Moses fit in that spot. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that then when you think about it, the book of Genesis covers everything from Adam and Eve up to Moses, 2,500 years. And then the whole rest of the Old Testament from Exodus all the way to Malachi covers that short period of 1,500 years. But that's the way God wrote it for, for his purposes. Three things about the law of Moses we need to understand. Number one, it was not a way of salvation. You didn't get saved by being a Jew or keeping the law that Moses wrote. You got saved by faith. Hebrews 11 makes that abundantly clear. And Paul will say in our study, Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith and not by the works of the law. And so we have to understand that first. No one was saved by the works of the law. And yet the Judaizers are going to say to Paul, unless a man is circumcised and keeps the law of Moses, he cannot be saved. They had become a cult themselves. Secondly, it was not something for any other nation. It was for the Jews alone. In Exodus 19, when God is bringing them out to the Mount Sinai, 
He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. This is for you. This is for the Jewish man. The Sabbath and all the rest were for them. So it was not for any other nation. And then this is interesting. It was not something that was to be continued. They knew this from the beginning, like every other age or dispensation, it would come to a close. And so what I find unique is that within the law itself, that is within these Old Testament chapters and books, you find various different things that are going to mark the end of the age of the law. One of them, for example, in Psalm 110, is that when the Messiah comes, he will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. And so when he comes, we will have a totally different priest. And the book of Hebrews tells us in 7.12, if the priesthood is changed, there must be a change of the whole law. And so if we have a new priest, we have a whole new law. And we do have a new priest, don't we? Jesus Christ is our high priest. And that was predicted in the law in Psalm 110. Or Habakkuk 2, chapter 2 says, the just shall live by faith. And when will we preach that? Or Joel says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. When do we start to preach that? At Pentecost. And Paul will repeat uh, Habakkuk even here in the book of Galatians. Or you have the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel also uh, they talk about a time when the old covenant, that is the Mosaic covenant, is done, and we start with a new covenant. When will that happen? When Messiah comes. And so it's interesting that the law itself often told us that the law will pass away at a certain time, and that will not be your way of life anymore, although anyone who's saved is always saved by grace through faith. So that's number three. So number four... And I want you to uh, hold your place here in Galatians and go with me to the book of Acts for a minute. And uh, just back to Acts chapter 13 to begin with. And I want, I want you to see in the life of Paul how difficult it was for him to convince his Jewish hearers of this fact. That the law had come to an end. And now we're to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is to be not only our faith, but our life. So in Acts chapter 13, he's on his first missionary journey. He's preaching, and I'll just read verses 44 through 46. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together. And by the way, he's preaching up in Galatia. So we're going to read the book to Galatians. And so here's his problem right here in Galatia. The whole city came together to hear the word of God, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. And then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And so... Uh, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and yet the, his own Jewish people refused to hear him. Look at verse 50 of that same chapter. 
the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from the region. Here they come with the good news of the gospel, and here this, their own people are saying, we don't want you here at all. Look at chapter 14 and verse 19. Now they're in Iconium uh, uh, and uh, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitude, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. We'll just kill this fellow. We'll keep him from saying anything against our law and against what we want him to say. Chapter 15, notice two verses here. Verse 1. Certain men came down from Judea. Now, this means they were up in Antioch, and a new church had started up in Antioch, and they're preaching the gospel even to Gentiles. But certain men came down from the church in Jerusalem, Judea, and taught the brethren there in Antioch, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, what does it say? You cannot be saved. You have to practice life like we practice it. You have to do the things that, that are required of you there. And then uh, verse 5 of that same chapter, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses when you preach to the Gentiles. Now we could go on clear up into the, in chapter 21 and the other travels of Paul where every time he's preaching, these Jews are following him around and persecuting him because they don't want to hear it. Isn't it amazing that people are always saved by faith and here his own people, these Jewish people, have said, no, you've got to keep everything that God gave us for those 1,500 years or you're not going to be saved. It's become very cultish, you see. What if I gave you these examples of these dispensational changes? What if you were buying a house and you had a contract to buy this house with? Now, you have a friend who also at the same time is buying a house, and he has a contract to buy that house over there. Now, your contracts look very much the same, right? But what if you said, well, here, you take my contract, and I'll take your contract, and, and then you use mine, and I'll use yours. Would they work? No, they don't work. Because even though they're similar, they're designed for that specific thing. They're not interchangeable. Or suppose we take speed limits. You know, I drove out to Indiana this last week. Sometimes I go on out to Ohio where my uh, relatives live. And uh, yet sometimes we go to Denver through Kansas and, and out there. You can have three or four different speed limits on I-70 as you go across that many states. One state might have 65 miles an hour. Kansas and, and Colorado has 75 miles an hour. So suppose I'm driving through a 65-mile-an-hour speed limit, and I get pulled over because I'm going 75. And I say to the policeman, well, the speed limit said 75. And he says, well, sorry, that's in the other state. That's in Kansas, and you're over here. I said, yeah, but that's what the sign says. He says, that doesn't apply to you here. Here you have to go 65. Well, that's the problem that Paul was running into when the Jews said, no, you've got to keep what God gave us in these 1,500 years. And Paul is saying, no, that was for then. Now the Messiah has come. Now we're preaching grace uh, through faith. 
And we don't have to do what you're telling us to do. The same would apply, of course, if we talked about taxes or any other state laws that you have. What applies in one state doesn't apply in another. And even though everyone was always saved by faith in the revelation that they had from God, living the way God wanted them to live for those few years doesn't apply in another area, unless God redoes it, unless God restates something. For example, obeying your parents was part of the Ten Commandments. Paul repeats that in Ephesians chapter 6 and even quotes that commandment for children to obey their parents. So that's something that begins in another era as well. So what had happened in Paul's day? Judaism had become a cult. Something that was designed to be a way of life for 1,500 years, now they are saying you must do it even to be saved. Not only that, you can't even be sanctified. You can't even be a good believer without keeping the law. This is called in the Bible legalism. We use that word very loosely these days, but it applies specifically to what we're studying in the book of Galatians. Legalism means salvation is by a legal means. You have to keep this law, and then you can be saved. That's what legalism means. Or you have to keep this law to stay saved, or you'll lose it. That's what Paul was fighting and telling them uh, very directly. That is a different gospel. That makes it cultish, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you have a bulletin in front of you. Let's go back to the book of Acts real quick. I better do that or I'll be preaching uh, from verse 6 in the wrong book. Back to, to uh, Galatians 1, and notice that, again, I've titled this The Attraction of False Gospels because there's many things about gospels that are false that are very attractive to us. And the first one is going to be that they uh, come very easily and quickly to you. It's very easy for them to come. It's very easy for them to come into a house, to come into a church, to come into a country. And so he says in verse 1, notice, I marvel. Now, folks, he's not saying, boy, that's marvelous. <laughs> what he's saying is, I'm shocked. That's what the word means. I'm shocked that you, notice the word you, would refer, I think, to true believers in Galatia, who heard Paul preach and were saved, and now false teachers have come in, and they're already following the false teachers. They're already following these Judaizers, as we call them. I'm shocked, he said, that this is happening to you. And then notice the language. Notice that I have, first of all, turning away so soon, that you are turning away so soon, turning away back to Judaism. As we read in Acts 15, verse 1, that uh, they were saying, unless you keep the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. And they said, oh, okay, I guess that's right. Paul says, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're turning away. The word turning away means to transport something from one place to another, to exchange two things, even to move from here to there. Jude used it this way, used that word. 
There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, and then here's our word, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. You turn the grace of God into anything else, and then you are denying the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to save. And that's exactly what they're doing. I'm shocked that you are so soon turned away to things that are not the true gospel. And notice he says so soon because that word uh, means rapidly, suddenly, briefly. Paul used it in 1 Timothy 5.22 when he's giving the qualifications about preachers and he said, lay hands suddenly on no man. Don't just jump into it. Don't do it without investigation. Don't do it without qualification. Don't just suddenly uh, make someone a preacher. And so that word here, he says, I'm shocked because that's what you've done in turning away from the gospel. And then notice, secondly, in this verse, that they turn from a person to a position. Because what does he say here? You turned away from him. That, of course, would be the Lord Jesus Christ who called you in the grace of Christ to what? A different gospel, to, to Judaism, to a position, to, to somebody's new doctrine that they've come up with. You've turned from that person, from him and his grace. You see, Messiah is here. He was prophesied back uh, to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15 that he would come. He's come. He's here. Not only is, is uh, Moses done away with, but Abraham and, and Noah in the responsibilities that they have. Now, this is our responsibility. Don't you see that, he says. But you've turned to a different gospel, and that was to him Judaism. It's done. Judaism said it would be done when Messiah came. And yet you're still doing that and saying you must be saved to do it? Now, folks, here's the amazing thing about verse 6. You are so soon, so quickly turned away. How long did it take in those days to hear something new and convince people to turn away? I mean, if you had just two towns five miles apart, it took as long as it would take one man to walk five miles. That's how soon. And then you had to wait until they met in the synagogue, and then you had to explain, and then you, how long did it take that to happen? And Paul calls it so soon, so quickly, so suddenly. Well, if it could spread that quickly in such a world as that 2,000 years ago, how quickly can it spread today? As a matter of fact, I did a little experiment. So the other day, I Googled this. On Google, alternate views to Christianity. Type that in there. Hit the button. Immediately, this is what I see. Immediately on my screen, I'm not kidding you, 271 million hits in 0.051 seconds. That's how fast it can change. And then, right underneath that, in the first entry, it had a byline that suggested syncretism. 
the practice of blending traditional Christian beliefs with other spiritual systems. Over 200 million of those are out there at anybody's fingertips in this world in which we live. So if this kind of thing can spread in that ancient world, and Paul says, I am shocked that you are so soon removed from what you know. Just think of what it must be like in God's ears today. So, number one, false gospels come easily and quickly. Number two, but he's going to say in verse 7, a false gospel is not the gospel. Just because they call it a gospel, just because it's out there, it's not the gospel. Now, there's a play on words here, so we back up to the end of verse 6, where he says, I'm, I'm shocked that you're turned to a different gospel, and then immediately in verse 7, which is not another gospel. Now, if you're reading the older version, which is a good version, but it's, it uses the word another twice, because these two words are very synonymous, they're very similar, but they're not the same Greek word and probably should not be the same English word either. And so we have, in the new version, a different gospel. So I'm shocked that you're turned to a different gospel, but it's not another gospel. Heteros is the word different, and alos is the word another. What does that mean? Well, different, heteros, means a different kind of thing. I, I heard this word this morning, believe it or not, on the news, heterodoxy. You know, if we speak about orthodoxy, right? When we speak about orthodoxy, we mean something that is straight, straight and true, orthodoxy. But heterodoxy means something that's different doxological, different uh, glory of God. We even use the term, by the way, to to distinguish homosexuality from heterosexuality. They're two different things, right? Similar maybe in some ways, but entirely two different things. And so to say that it is a different gospel is it's a heterox gospel. This is a different gospel than what I'm preaching to you, Paul says. This is not the gospel that will save. And that's why he says then it's not another gospel. Alos means it's similar, but it's not the same thing. It's not another alternative. I thought of the passage in Matthew 7, 9 through 10, where uh, the Lord says this, What man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Remember that? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Who would do that? They're similar, but they're different. As a matter of fact, in the first temptation of Jesus, Satan comes to Jesus and says, are you hungry after fasting for 40 days? Well, you see these stones, turn them into bread. And someone has noticed often that the, those rounded, smooth stones that are all over the land of Israel would look like a little lump of bread, a loaf of bread that you would bake. Uh, they look very similar, but a stone is different from bread, even though they look similar. A serpent in the water is different than a fish in the water, but they could be very similar because they both swim around and bite your hook and so forth, but it's not the same thing. You know as a father or a mother how to give good gifts. Don't you think God knows how to give the right gift to you that you need? And so a false gospel is not the gospel. 
We have a great example of that in history that goes way back to the fact of adding baptism to salvation. All the way back to the Roman church in the early centuries uh, that said you're to, to be forgiven of your mortal sins, it has to start out with baptism as an infant. And then later in church history, uh, you had good Baptist men, by the way. For example, in Scotland, the Haldane brothers who were immersing people after they got saved, and a man named Alexander Campbell followed them for a while. And when he got his converts, he was immersing them too, but he came up with a different doctrine. He came up with the fact that, well, you have to be baptized or you're not saved. And we call it Campbellism, the Campbellites, or today we call it the Christian church or the Christian denomination. I printed this off uh, online, which is a list of things from the Christian church by Alexander Campbell. And then this list is given to us by Garland Robinson, who in the 20th century was an avid supporter of the Christian church doctrine of adding baptism. And here are all, here's the list of all the scriptures he gives of why you must be baptized if you're going to be saved. And in his explanation, in the paragraph below, he says a number of things, but here are two things. Water baptism is the step that takes one that is out of Christ and puts him into Christ. Water baptism takes one who is out of Christ, puts him into Christ. And he lists a few scriptures. And then at the end, he says, in baptism... One contacts the blood of Christ that washes sins away. And he gives scripture. Is that the same gospel? Is that the gospel that, that we have in the New Testament? It is not. And you and I believe that it is not. Is this then a real gospel? It is a false gospel. You can't get saved by the works of the Mosaic law. You can't get saved by the works of any law that any man decides to give. So we have at the end of verse 7, who want to pervert the gospel of Christ, change the gospel of Christ. Number three, false gospels are promoted by false messengers. They're nice people. You'll like them. You follow them and listen to them. You'll think they're wonderful. They are nice. They're often pretty. They're persuasive. They may be very scholarly. You like them. But a messenger is known by his message, not by what he looks like, not what his language sounds like, not how suave or sophisticated he is, but what is his message. So in verse 8, two things that I want to notice. These messengers can be very familiar to you, or they can be unfamiliar, but you like them. You like what they say and what they do. So Paul will say then in verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, he ought to be accursed. Notice the familiar language. If I come back to you folks in Galatia and I preach any other gospel than what I have preached under inspiration by God to you, if I change it, I am not preaching the gospel of Christ. I ought to be accursed. Paul says that of himself. And then not only that, he says, if I do it or an angel from heaven, and I think he doesn't mean a demon, I think he means a real angel from heaven, 
What if an angel came and said, you don't have to be saved that way anymore. You can be saved this way now. Let him be accursed. I think I've often said to you that some of the largest cults in the world were started by so-called angel coming to somebody and telling him this is a new way to do it. Muhammad himself believed that it was Gabriel who appeared to him in the cave and gave him the book of Quran, Qumran, Quran, excuse me, Quran. And, and he believed Gabriel came and told him, now here's what you have to do. But I ask you, is the Quran different from the Bible? Yes, it is. And Paul says, even if an angel from heaven came, even if Gabriel did, and I don't think he did, but even if an angel did, he ought to be accursed. Joseph Smith thought that the angel Moroni had come and given him this new message. Moroni was supposed to be the glorified son of a man named, uh, named Mormon, and so he became an angel, and you can still see his statue on top of their cathedrals and so forth. And Joseph said, he gave me the pearl of great price and the book of Mormons, and now this is what you have to do to be saved. If even an angel from heaven did come, and it's not what the Scripture has taught, let him be accursed. It will not save anyone, folks. And Paul is making that clear. Now, familiar personalities may come, or unfamiliar. So notice here, in, if we back up to verse 7, where he says, there are some who trouble you. I don't know who that might be coming into your town. The Jews from over there in Iconium or Lystra, or some up from Antioch, or maybe some from Jerusalem. Somebody, some may come, and they try to persuade you uh, that uh, you have to be saved by the Mosaic law. Let him be accursed. It, it is not right. Or look at verse 9 where he says, We have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches, if anyone else, the Jews have their way of doing it. The Romans have their way of emperor worship and other things that you get uh, eternal life. The Greeks with their Epicureans and Stoics, they have their way of doing it. And oh, yeah, by the way, there's going to be these Gnostics who come in and tell you that it's through knowledge and secret knowledge that you are saved. Let him be accursed, because those are not the way of salvation at all. As a matter of fact, John later will have to deal with those Gnostics, and he will say uh, later in 2 John chapter 1, uh, uh, listen to this, if there come unto you any and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, that is, God bless you. For he that biddeth him Godspeed, or says, God bless you, is partaker of his evil deeds. Partaker means fellowshipper, partner with his false doctrine. And so if any come to you this way, I like what, what uh, Douglas Moo and his commentary said about these angels and other messengers. He says, he says, Paul said, whether it be he himself or the most significant and spectacular messenger he could name that preaches a false gospel, they will suffer God's curse for their error. You just can't do it that way. And so if anyone comes this way, 
let him be accursed. And he will say it again then lastly in verse 9, false gospels bring God's wrath. The word accursed is a serious word, anathema it is in Greek, serious word. So he says here, as we have said before, so now I say again. That's my first point, and that is false gospels are not biblical. They are unbiblical. Paul is saying here, what I preached to you when I came to Galatia on my first journey is now recorded in the book of Acts by Luke. And if, if you hear anything contrary to God's word that I gave to you on my first journey, it's a wrong gospel. Secondly, he says, not only that, so now I say again. Now I'm writing the book of Galatians. I'm writing this book. I'm writing the same thing again. And if somebody says something contrary to this book that I'm writing you, let him be accursed. And so what Paul preached before, what Paul preaches here, the Word of God, folks, what is written, what God has given through inspired writing and through His inspired writers. But secondly, false gospels are cursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. There's an Old Testament usage of this word Back in the, in the book of Joshua, when they destroyed the city of Jericho, and God told Joshua, you pronounce a curse upon anyone who builds this city again. He will be accursed. This is to be ruins from now on. And to this day, I've been there. You can go to the ruins of the ancient city of Jericho, and nothing has been built on it. Cursed to someone who builds on this site. And so that's the word used here in our New Testament. So cursing is a strong thing. I, I think this can happen in three ways. Number one, you bring the curses upon yourself when you choose to, to go away from God's word and believe something that's contrary to it. You bring the cursing upon yourself. You, you have placed yourself there. You have followed that false teacher. You followed that voice. You need to know the Word of God and not depart from it. Secondly, the apostles can do this, and Paul is really doing it here also, and that is we know we're writing inspired Scripture, and anything contrary to this will bring the curse of God on them. Paul says it here. Peter says it. John says it, as I read in 1 John. Not only that, God himself says it, right? God himself says, I'm the ultimate judge. You will stand before me one day if you try to go another way. So we have warnings in God's Word. You know there's a warning at the end of the Old Testament, and there's a warning at the end of the New Testament. Don't add to this and don't take away from this. Remember these words? Let me read you the one in Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. It is serious business to add to God's word. If you add that baptism is necessary for salvation, if you add that keeping the law of Moses, circumcision, or whatever it may be, or any other thing, church membership, or whatever you want to add to it, if you add to this, the curses in this book will be added to you. And if you subtract from it, oh, you don't like the idea of crucifixion and the death of Christ? 
You don't like the idea of a bodily resurrection from the grave. You don't like the idea of a sinless life, a virgin birth, and you start to take those things away, then you have a different gospel. So don't do those things. So let me bring this to a close with something I read from Martin Luther. I told you I'm reading his great uh, book on Galatians as well. And Luther fought the same battle with the church at Rome that Paul is fighting with the Judaizers. And here's how Luther wraps up his words to these verses. He says, They glory above others in the name of Christ and boast themselves to be the most sincere preachers of the gospel. But because they mingle the law with the gospel, they must needs be perverters of the gospel. Listen to this. For either Christ must remain and the law perish, or the law must remain and Christ perish. For Christ and the law can by no means agree and reign together in the conscience. You're just not going to be able to put scriptural things with unscriptural things together. It won't work. So what is it in Paul's day? What is it in the Reformers' day? What is it in our day? Grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, as seen in the Scripture alone, the sola Scriptures, as they said. Let me just finish by then giving you what, the, what Paul wrote in the book of Romans. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the Bible says. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the gospel for the age of grace. Nothing taken away, nothing added to it. And Paul has laid down the marker here in Galatians chapter 1. And he will give his own testimony through the first two chapters of this book of how he was saved and God changed him. And then he will begin to give those great doctrines of why uh, you must change and you must come to this faith also. So I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior. If you don't, I, th- I pray that you would come back to the Scriptures and back to what the Bible says about faith in Christ. I want you to stand with me now, if you will, as we stand and we pray together and sing a song together. Let's ask the Lord to use these words that he's used often in the book of Galatians over the years. Uh, for whoever may hear, that they may come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of grace by faith. Thank you, Father, for that in this age that we call the church age or the, or the age of grace, that you've given us commissions, you've given us commands of things that we should do. And so, Father, I pray that you would make us faithful in the time and day in which we live, faithful to you and faithful to your word. So, Father, now whether it's words that I have spoken this morning from your word or, or someone else you know, wherever in this world that, that a lost soul is listening to, may they come to you in true faith and believing in what the Bible says to be saved. So, Father, speak to our hearts too. Help us as believers. We read, we hear, 
We have access all over the world instantly in our day. Oh, Father, make us discerners that we might not be perverters of the truth. So bless us, Father, as we stand before you and think about these things. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our invitation, as I say, is always open. Even as we sing, I'm here at the front. If you want to come as we sing and say, here's my need, or when people are dismissed in a few minutes, I'm still here, uh, you can come. If the Lord has laid something on your heart, you take care of it this morning before you leave. Gordon will come and lead us in this song.